You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today we got Dennis Foy, who's the CEO of Copper. And Copper is a productivity CRM software designed for companies that love G Suite. I love G Suite. We're on G Suite. We should probably be using Copper and use <laughs> solutions such as Gmail, Google Calendar, and Google Sheets, which is us. Total funding, $102 million. And quick question for you, Dennis. I guess you were brought on as CEO in 2019? Yeah, that's right. Yes, I came from a previous company before, a company called New Voice Media, which we sold to Vonage just a prior year. That's awesome. So yeah, tell us a little bit about you, kind of what your story is, and then we'll jump into you know Copper and all the cool things. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So I guess I'm still writing the story, but I am a guy that's worked and lived in six different countries, mainly continental Europe, and that's off about what is it, three years now in the US. This is a third time CEO. I guess I'm starting to make a career of coming into companies and helping them scale when there is some sort of an initial product market fit and the teams are kind of figuring out how you take that to market, particularly internationally. And I'm trying to make a decent living doing that. I love that. I, I want to dive in on, on that in a little bit because literally yeah. the last person I, I talked to was the CEO of Yesware, but he was kind of homegrown. Yeah. So Copper, can you talk to us a little more about, I think it's unique because you're focusing on G Suite. I think it makes a lot of sense. So this is two questions. How is the CRM different? And how do you guys charge? So fundamentally, the CRM is different because we focus on the user, the end user, and not the company. If you want to make it really simple, there's a longer story there where we feel that CRMs have focused too much at increasing the visibility at the company level and sacrificing product individual productivity at the user level. And so what we have done is we flipped it on its head and say, what we are going to make sure is that users actually love to use the system. I mean, when's the last time you heard, I love to use my CRM, right? And so we focus on the user, apply modern application building, a UX and UI techniques to make that a delightful experience that drives adoption up really high and that drives a whole sequence of uh, positive reinforcing events. So that's first of all, so how do we charge? We charge per user per month basis. Really pretty straightforward SaaS models. We have three tiers and those tiers unlock different levels of functionality. And what kind of, I'd imagine because you're targeting G Suite, people that start using your software, it's pretty sticky, right? And so now it's like you're ready to scale this thing to the moon. I guess so what kind of numbers can you reveal around the business? How is it doing today? The business is doing well. I mean, we're talking right as we started to understand the kind of the implications of the pandemic, right? So we've definitely seen an effect of that, although it has surprised us because we've seen, for instance, that we had a whole bunch of trialers coming in as a consequence of taking the teams remote. So, you know, we're seeing our daily active use growing nicely and going up, which is a measure that we hold very dearly. I mean, I won't go into the nitty gritty and the details, but we have a good growth right now. Okay, the most important things that we're watching today are things like NPS at the individual user level that is growing. That's been growing like four points during the pandemic, believe it or not. This is very interesting. And so the most important things for us is to capture the user's heart and mind because we have a belief that that actually drives the internal acquisition, right? So we want to grow corporate by having activation at the user level and drive basically initial use of that way. I guess my question also would be, when is it the right time to bring on an outside CEO to really scale things? You know, that's such a great question. It's a difficult one to answer. I would say do it early. <laughs> I, I don't see myself as an outside CEO because I have to believe 
in what I'm seeing. And this is a, a difficult thing to describe, but I kind of have to believe in the product. I have to believe in the problem that you're trying to fix. There's the, some real depth there. And with Copper, I fell in love with the idea, the ideology of, yes, it's a huge market CRM, uh, but CRM is very sales orientated. Sales and marketing doesn't serve the whole company. Why is that? Why are people not taking it all the way through the funnel to deliver projects? And I, I believe in that vision that we should capture the hearts and minds of users and what's why are we applying kind of old school enterprise software technologies and push it down to the users. Users should be delighted with the experience. We work, we're all working so hard every day. So once you have a belief, I think it's more an experience set. I think it's a very unreasonable ask to expect every single entrepreneur to be amazing at every journey of the company and kind of struggle through. Sometimes you have to place your, the company ahead of yourself. And I think it characterizes a, an amazing set of human beings when they determine for themselves to say, hey, I love really the ideation stage, which is usually what is the case, right? Usually you see entrepreneurs are very good. They're optimists. They're very good at creating and incubating ideas. You have to have a different type of mindset when you're scaling companies. You just you you love different things. I love scale. I love countries. I love taking it to the moon and competing with larger companies. Those are different skill sets. And I think if you're a smart entrepreneur, you realize where you want to take it, and then you decide at some point I think to put your company ahead of yourself. And those entrepreneurs that do that bring in with the board, external CEOs in a little earlier, I would say. I came in, as you said, 2019, just on the back of the Series C. And if, I mean, because it's a very touchy subject, right? If you're the founder of the company, maybe it's not like this all the time, but it's, you know, it's your baby. And then you have, to, but sometimes it makes sense. It's like, look, if you want to take it to the next level, someone's already been there. They know what I don't know already. So it makes sense. You know, I think the challenge also is how do you find, you know, these great CEOs such as yourself? You love the product, but... Also, it's, it's not easy to define people that are like yourself. So how do you source? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so I think you're right, especially, I mean, I'm talking at this, as the person coming in. Like, trust me, you know, I'm qualifying the founder and the team and the board and the company as much as anything, as, as, as much as you believe. But I'm sure if you're coming in, this is the third time for me now, as you have a founder, you're basically hired as a CEO, if, although these interviews are quite comical at times. But I think you have to have, it comes down to trust, right? Because once you understand that there's a skill set, there's an experience, say that you're looking for somebody that's successfully gone through exits, you know, as a, as a mark of completion of some sort, then it comes down to trust because the relationship that you have between those people is a bit like a business partner, really, if it's a good one. So you almost should look at it as you're recruiting your founder team. When you go back pre-series A, when you're maybe doing C, you're thinking what's the founding team look like. It's that type of mindset. But then alongside with some experience that you can't be operationally involved anymore. And so you actually need someone that's very strong that keeps you a check well. And so they say, hey, I really love your opinion. <laughs> it's great. And I'll consider it, but I have a different idea of approaching this. Let me try this. I've tried this before and it's worked. And so this trust building has to be very strong. Okay. And how do you find these people? On Craigslist. I think no, <laughs> I, I, them all places. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I think to be honest, the first step is you start to think about to really visualize what type of person do I need here to take the company to the next stage? What does this next stage look like? What type of skills and traits am I looking for that I don't enjoy doing as a founder or I'm actually never going to be good at or, I, or it's taking too long, I'm taking, I'm robbing, I'm stealing the company of valuable time because time is everything here. So once you have that picture really locked in your head, I think 
then your network, particularly your investors, kind of the advisors, should be helpful in identifying good networks. Sometimes you can run a formal search if you have a trusted firms. And then I guess, unfortunately, you go through it like any other hire, like you would hire a CMO. It then becomes quite robotic until you eventually find this person, you develop a relationship, and then you find yourself, or pre the pandemic, we used to have coffees and things like that. But now I don't know how to do it. But that's how it went with me. So I kind of approached, it was through the board, there was a recruiter involved, and one thing led to another. Got it. Pretty quickly. And last question on this, because I just, we don't get many people, again, it's, it's, it's rare to be able to get the insight that, that I'm getting from you right now. So you came on and what do you think went right in terms of onboarding you? What, what would be some practical tips you would have for people that are looking to do something like this? A lot went right, actually. A lot went right. I think I was able to do what I wanted to do really quickly. And what I mean with that is into the company on my own. It's a very important thing because this is not something where, say, you hire a CMO or a CCO, and then there's this kind of some sort of onboarding period or something. You don't really onboard the new CEO. And so what was great is that I was able to just get into the company. And there was a all-hands meeting where the outgoing founder CEO had said goodbye to. I attended that meeting. There was a few weeks before. There were Q&As, and I was able to jump in and step into the Q&As folks had an idea, oh, this is this dude that I've been looking at on LinkedIn, looks like a decent human being, this is great. And then there was the weekend after I basically joined on the Monday, you know, I showed up and it was my company. And I think that is a wonderful way to start because then what, what can happen, you can build your own relationships, you can start building your one-to-ones, there's nobody else, people feel free to talk. That went really well. I was able to set a new board schedule and calendar. So I was basically allowed to do what I think was best for the company day one. So it sounds like it was a clean cut and then boom, it's like, hey, I'm in yeah. charge now. So the co-founders are no longer involved or? Not operationally, but they are yeah. absolutely involved and actually speak with them very, very frequently, in particular, John Lee. And so, but think more about strategy, sharing ideas or thoughts, or sometimes there's a lot of context involved. You know, it's see, hey, why was X, Y, Z done that way? You know, it's very interesting to know why certain things have happened. And, you know, it's wonderful that you're able to rely on, on people like that. And it's obviously you have the board as well. Love it. So I do want to talk about, you know, how culture and growing relationships during COVID ultimately helps make the team stronger. So what can you speak to around that? What have you done there? Oh, you know, I'm learning so much there. It's very interesting. So we had a company culture that actually involved getting quite a lot of people into the office, believe it or not. In San Francisco, we have an office on Howard Street, a great office, wonderful, all the uh, amenities. And people it was great, great vibe in the office. And it was the first time that I had actually run a company that was so office dependent, if you like. But then one of the first things I started doing is building a team out in Toronto. That's why you kind of met Carrie earlier. And luckily, that actually helped us well before the pandemic to understand and learn what's involved with dealing with colleagues in other time zones, making sure that we use other systems well. And I don't mean just conferencing, I mean using writing as a long-form writing to document decisions, using OKRs in a way that basically engenders the whole company. And so there's a couple of things that we've been able to amplify. We're doing every Friday, we have an all-company playback, so the whole company just kind of dials in. That used to be an all-hands meeting. Now everybody dials in, it's half an hour, and we review the whole company, which is basically from the KPIs through to the OKRs. And if there's a board update, I share the board pack with the team. Then I'll talk about the board pack. And so what we're learning is that productivity is very high. It's actually 
for some of us it feels like it's high. I'm not so sure that it is high. We, I think we all have more visibility of what's happening now because everything is kind of like sort of in your face. But so we introduced things like we just come off an de- extra day off this Tuesday and the Canadian team had a, a day off the week before because actually feel we are driving our teams very hard and it's difficult to delineate between your home situations and your work situations now for people. So we decompressed a little bit this month. So some things around that, basically health, mental health, and helping people to find and strike a good balance because the productivity is, is very, very solid. And the rest is a lot of communication. We're using the usual tools, but I think more importantly is there's a lot of unsolicited communication and humor now that we're encouraging. I am a prolific at that. I do things, I, I think it's funny. I do that so things on, on Slack of things that I read and I do these drive desk drive-bys on Slack and say, hey, how are you doing? Try to replicate spontaneity because I feel that that's the bit that is really missing with this remote and distributed. It's, it all becomes very quickly about work. Hey, how are you doing? Where's that thing that, I, that you promised me yesterday? And I think as leaders, we maybe need to dial the proactivity of, hey, I'm genuinely interested in having a conversation with you about nothing today. So I'm trying to do that myself as much as I can. Yeah, you realize, look, I mean, we're overproductive now because there's no commute anymore. And so the hour is saved. So yeah, I think it goes a long way just to show that, you know, you care about people. And actually, we're considering doing this more because we, we did give people last Friday off, which it, so it became a four day weekend. But I, I don't know about you. So are you considering making it more of an ongoing like, hey, maybe every other Friday, it's going to be a day off because, yeah, it makes a big difference love that train of thought. I actually had a conversation with our HR leader yesterday where I said, hey, what is the feedback that you got? How did you feel with the foot? And everybody was sharing their stories. It felt like, it felt like a little holiday because the weather was great and everybody was excited. So I do think, I would say, hey, what can we come up with? Maybe can we target some of these weekends and extend them? What is a good strategy? So I asked her exactly this because I do think it shouldn't be a one-off and done. Maybe we incorporate it and make it part because I think it's very, very hard for people, harder than most of us realize, to keep a good business rhythm and separation between home. I think I see a lot of emails in the evenings. People, I think, have got their iPad on their lap and start doing emails and stuff like that. And I don't think that that's good on anyone. And it requires a pretty strong individuals to be very disciplined about maybe you know confining your space and work hours. So yeah, I think we should make it part of a regular cadence. I love that. Yeah. What are you guys going to do with the office? Think you're going to keep paying rent on it? So, <laughs> You know, I've tried to educate myself on the schools of thought of fully distributed teams and I'm reading the usual stuff. I read the books and I actually thought they were all bad, <laughs> really bad. I feel that they're basically presenting one dogma against another dogma. And I think that I'd like to approach it a little bit more thoughtfully and, and say, hey, there's a ton of stuff that we're learning here. I mean, honestly, a ton. I mean, the amount of, I particularly love how the team is using things like Confluence tools to write internal blog posts every Friday and people can respond. And it's a far better update than the other stuff that we've seen before. And it actually cuts down on a lot of chatter because everybody has context. That's stuff I want to bottle up and we should do that in whatever it is. But there's also people that are struggling. They live in cities. They don't have the luxury to have a separate office environment in their home because that's their bedroom. Right. Some people even have a Peloton in the same room where they're doing the yeah. conferences. <laughs> so and we need to think about that, right? So I feel that despite it's basically claimed that it's harder to do, I do think you have to have a few next, not an HQ, but you should have center of gravities. Maybe I'm thinking about it on a time zone basis for copper. So we have a West Coast hub, 
San Francisco. I think we'll scale that down. We don't need to basically make that as big for everyone that's in San Francisco. We have a West and East Coast hub in Toronto. We'll have a GMT hub in, in the UK. And those become the areas where team kind of gravitate and they figure it out how they want to use that place. Yeah. That's, so I think, where we'll end up. It's basically not a one-size-fits-all. It's like, hey, like adapt for your company. That's, That's right. And saying. you need to think to make it appropriate for your own company and company culture. We are very social creatures at Copper. We like to do family-style picnics. We do sort of family-based events. We like that. We just actually generally, like, believe it or not, like to hang out together. And so for us, it fits that we have some sort of a social interaction as part of our culture. Others might think differently, and then that's cool. But I think you need to make that part of your identity. Makes a lot of sense. One thing I want to touch upon before we get hit the, the rapid fire questions, you talk about long form writing. A lot of people, at least in the Twitter sphere, the entrepreneurs you see, you know, Basecamp, you know, it's a writing culture. Amazon is a writing culture as well. How did you build that long form writing culture into your company? Because I'm going to assume that once you try to roll something like that out, there's going to be resistance because some people don't like to write. But I think it's uber important because it's communication. So, yeah, listen, I think. We're still in the process of, I would say, 100% adoption stroke compliance. And I want to be thoughtful with that for exactly the reason that you just said. Some people don't like to write and some people don't like to read, frankly. And so I did it very early. I started doing it myself from the first week. I started writing a long-form email, like say a page, page and a half to the whole company and say, this is how my week has been. And I did that as I was coming in as a CEO to kind of give him an insight that I also was a human being and I had feelings and things like that. And so give him a different type of perspective on things. And I saw that it engaged the introverts more. So where the playbacks and the company updates actually favor extroverts and they should hell out because they, I have a question. I want to ask you about this. That's the environment that they thrive in that actually doesn't help introverts. And I saw, I got a ton of questions from engineering teams. Every single email that I would send, I would have an engineer ask a really thoughtful question. I said, well, this is interesting. You never ask me questions during the playbacks. And so I started just being persevering with that. And I never missed the beat. Every Friday or Saturday, depending on when I have time, I, I write an email. What started to happen with the pandemic and we started to use Confluence more. And so I think a lot of the leaders started adopting this philosophy and saying, I'm going to write a blog post about product every week. Okay, awesome. There's a growth. We've got our growth, head of growth, Eugene, in terms of blog about the growth experiments that the team has done. And so what started to happen, started to happen organically. And then the team started to give him the leaders feedback, said, I love this. I love these blog posts. And so, so it became this and kind these of These are, just to be clear, Dennis, these are internal blog posts, just internal. like an internal wiki? Okay, got internal. it. Internal. Yeah, internal. At some point, I think we can expose some of this stuff because it's actually really good. But for now, it's just purely meant to inform and provide context and say, this is how the week has been. This is what we're doing. And so I am actually trying not to enforce it. I'm not asking a single leader to do that. The leaders do send email updates to each other long form before on Friday. But I'm trying not to make it kind of like a, a law because I think you have to have some sort of intrinsic motivation to do it, to be consistent with it. Because otherwise it becomes like, hey, it's Friday, it's two o'clock, I haven't seen your block yet, what's going on? And they become a little uh, hollow. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I love that. I think it's slow adoption, not trying to force it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. All right, rapid fire questions. What's working for Copper right now in terms of growth? A lot, actually. We <laughs> we scaled our spend down, and actually we're seeing that our trials, uh, Metlu trials, are holding up really nice. So the, the kind of the organic acquisition, people are able to find this, and the trial to paid conversion is actually working really well. We're seeing a conversion uptick at the moment. So I'm happy with that. 
Got it. Okay. I'm assuming, I mean, a lot of people would probably find you in the, the Chrome store, the app store. Yes. But I also think that people are starting to look at this association that you started the conversation with, this kind of like productivity and collaboration CRM. They're starting to look at this, hey, how do I keep my team on track and organize ourselves around relationships and customer? They're kind of moving away from the tools into something a little bit more organized, like, and they think, I need a CRM, and then they land somehow, find us. And that's starting to become increasingly more the narrative, which I'm excited about. That's awesome. How about your favorite business tool that's not called Copper? <laughs> I am addicted to a tool called Bear. Do you, oh, do you know it? The, the note-taking app, right? Yeah, absolutely love it. It's amazing. Okay. What do you use it for? Is it your to-do my life. I, I mean, I write my, I uh, start my blog posts on that. I can start on my laptop and finish it on my iPad. I do my to-do list, every, my thoughts, everything. I think it's an amazing, amazing product. Final question for me. What are some publications or podcasts that you would recommend for people? Well, publications, I mean, I read, I read quite a lot. I actually prefer to read books myself nowadays, given the <laughs> situation that we're in. But if yeah. I have one recommendation I would have, my book that stuck with me, is a book from Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Talking to Strangers, which I think is really wonderful for your listeners because it, it applies to business as well in some way because it is about people. I still like Tim Ferriss' stuff. I, I'm still a little bit addicted to him. And I'm actually increasingly starting to watch more and more productivity updates on YouTube. So I was actually curious about uh, your approach there. I'm kind of take these 15-minute zaps and, and learn a little bit there. Yeah. I mean, I I do that during lunch because I'll usually eat in like 10 to 15 minutes and then I'll have a a big playlist and I'll just save things to watch it later. And then I have playlists. So yeah, it works out well. Awesome. Dennis, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Go to copper.com and the rest should be straightforward. All right. Thanks so much for doing this. Eric, appreciate it. Thank you. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.